Great, thank you all so much. <clears throat> well, in the, um, in the 11 o'clock service today, we're going to be singing one of Charles Wesley's hymns in which he writes, to serve the present age, my calling to fulfill. Serving the present age is always, <clears throat> always a challenge. Uh, Lyle Schaller, church consultant, likes to say that if, if we think next year will be 1955, then most of our churches are in pretty good shape. But if we think next year might be 2015, we got some work to do in a lot of them. It's, uh, it's a challenge to serve the present age. Shane Claiborne is one of the really creative thinkers among young church leaders today in the country. Here's what he has to say about this. <laughs> Phyllis Tickle, a church historian, you know, she, she's a great writer, and she says, every few hundred years, the church has an identity crisis, and we kind of forget who we are, and, and there are movements uh, that remind us of who we are. And she, she says, uh, every few hundred years, the church needs a rummage sale so we can get rid of the clutter a little bit, you know, and we can, but you don't want to throw everything out. I mean, you don't want to throw the uh, family photo album out, you know, so you want to make sure that you, 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 you cling to those things which are really central to our faith. I think that's the whisper that many young people are, are feeling, and they haven't given up on the church, but they're, they, they have at times felt like the church has given up on them, I think, and, and I think that, that uh, there, there's an exciting uh, opportunity right now and, and as I, I talk about my writing uh, uh, the, the, the church is kind of like Noah's Ark uh, it, it's you know that old boat with all the stuff inside must have gotten pretty stinky you know and the church stinks sometimes but if you get out you're going to drown <clears throat> I'd like to tell Shane Claiborne that that's an original idea but 40 years ago when I was in seminary I remember hearing one of my professors say that sometimes the church feels a lot like Noah's Ark. The only way you can stand the stench on the inside is fear of the storm on the outside. Uh, there's nothing new about all that. There have always been more than enough reasons to come down hard on the church for the way it tends to fail living up to its own message, sometimes for being just plain boring. Uh, there have always been challenges about being in the church. But take heart, brothers and sisters, the good news is you're not in Corinth. I mean, that first century church in Corinth, it was the most contentious, confused, conflicted crowd that Paul ever had to deal with. If they hadn't been so messed up, they never would have made it into the New Testament. And, and Paul could have really, he had good reason to just come down with both feet on them. But listen, Listen to the way Paul opens <clears throat> this first letter to the church in Corinth. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, can you hear it? I instead, instead of telling the Corinthians 
what they were doing wrong, he tries to lift them into a place of being right. Instead of beginning by telling them all that they've missed about being in the church, he begins by lifting before them the vision of who Christ has called them to be. This whole letter to the Corinthians is Paul's way of calling these folks to arise out of the ordinary, mundane way in which they're living, to rise up and become the body of Christ the way Jesus intended for them to be. It, it's a very optimistic way to begin <clears throat> this letter with high hopes of what these people might become. Uh, interestingly enough, just yesterday, I came across a guide to the Field Artillery Replacement Center at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, with my dad's name on it, 1942. Uh, you got you to hear the way they welcome these folks, okay? The first page asks, what's this all about? Not so long ago, you were a civilian. You were inducted and sent to a reception center. You were told you're a soldier in the field artillery. Now, out of the blue, you've been picked up and shipped to North Carolina. What's this all about? Why are you here? And then they end up, you're here to become a soldier. You won't just be an average soldier, you'll be tops. <laughs> well, given the kind of folks that sometimes get drafted, that's a pretty optimistic statement about that crowd. That's sort of the way Paul begins this letter to the, to the Corinthians. In spite of all the things that divided them, all of the contentious issues they were dealing with, the apostle says, now, don't forget, you, you, ordinary, confused, conflicted Corinthian folks, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you are individually members of it. That's who you are. Talk about an invitation to arise to a new way of living and being. We, uh, we experience that kind of body of Christ life locally, in a congregation, in, in this congregation, when we discover that each one of us are a part of this living, growing, breathing, serving, loving body of Christ. Uh, another thing I came across while I was cleaning out was uh, a piece that my eldest daughter wrote when her sister got married. Uh, Carrie Lynn is in the communications convention business, and this is what she posted on her business blog after the wedding. She called it the end-all, be-all, face-to-face meeting. She said that in a world of live streaming and video conferencing, there are a million ways to be there without really being there. But she said the thought of a virtual wedding would be absurd. Would it be the same if the bride and groom were both on iChat when they said, I do? Instead, they stand face to face, hand in hand, and promise to love each other in sickness and health, 
till death does them part. And then she concluded this blog, we can tweet, post videos on Facebook, even create virtual meetings, but those things will never replace the face-to-face -face meeting and the relationships that are formed when people interact in real life. That's, that's who we are. Nothing, nothing can ever take the place of being side by side in worship together. Nothing can ever take the place of being in a small group that encourages, challenges, and holds us accountable. Nothing can take the place of holding another person's hand when they are in pain or sharing their laughter when they experience joy. Nothing, nothing can take the place of what disciples of Christ experience when they serve the needs of others side by side as a witness of the body of Christ. This, this body of Christ is the ultimate face-to-face -face meeting. That's who you are. But being the body of Christ is a lot bigger than just our own local expression of it. Did you notice the part of Paul's greeting when he said, to the church of God that is in Corinth, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be a part of the body of Christ is to know that we are a part of something much larger than our own corner of it. To be born again is to be born into a family with brothers and sisters whom we do not get to choose, whose names we may never know, whose faces we may never see, and who may be very different than we are. And yet we are part, connected with one another in this larger body of Christ. When we receive members into this congregation, we do not receive them into Hyde Park United Methodist Church, Inc., 500 West Platt Street. We receive them into the United Methodist Church of which this congregation is one part of that body. Now, the truth is, there are loud voices within our denomination today who are saying that uh, this thing can't hang together any longer. Uh, the phrase that some of them are using is amicable separation. I think the real phrase would be radical surgery. I mean, there are folks out there who think it's time for this denomination to be carved up the way the, the Methodist Church divided itself in 1844 over the issue of slavery. Some of these people are my friends. I sort of want to say to them, hey, Chill out, calm down, take a deep breath. And while you're at it, go read John Wesley's sermon entitled The Catholic Spirit. Uh, the founder of Methodism used the word Catholic as an adjective, meaning universal, not referring specifically to the Roman Catholic Church. It's an amazing document in which he names the differences, the, the issues 
that were alive in the Church of England in his present time. All of the reasons the people were divided from one another. And then he, uh, after having named all that stuff, he asks some questions. He writes, although, although a difference of opinions may prevent an entire external union, yet need it prevent our union in affection? Though we cannot think alike, can we not love alike? May we be of one heart, even though we are not of one opinion? And then he answers his own question, without doubt, we may. He says that every, every wise person should allow others the same liberty of thinking which they desire for themselves. And then he leads into some more very probing questions. Is your heart right with God? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Does he dwell in you and you in him? Is your faith filled with the energy of love? Are you doing not your own will, but the will of him who sent you? Do, does the love of God constrain you to serve him? Is your heart right with your neighbor? Is your soul full of goodwill and tender affection toward them? Then drawing out of a verse out of the Old Testament, he says, if your heart is as my heart, then give me your hand. That's part of the spirit of the tradition in which we stand. And it's right at the heart of who this church, when it has been at its very best, has always been. When, when we've lived up to our calling, this congregation has been a place where we hold very firmly to those things that are at the core, at the center of our life together. The gospel itself, the Apostles' Creed, the mission and the core values of this church are the non-negotiable core of our life together. And at the same time, there's been space around that clear center for equally faithful disciples to apply the truth of the gospel to how they understand the present age in ways that are unique to their own experience. It's not always easy to live in that kind of space. It clearly is not the kind of place for every Christian to be, but it's who God has called this church to be. You may remember that uh, when Bishop Lawrence McCleskey was here to celebrate our 115th anniversary, he reflected on the way growing up in this church shaped his life and his calling. He said that as long as he has known it, this has been a church that will not be led down a narrow-minded, self-focused, turned inward path. He said it has always been a place of broad-mindedness, welcoming a diverse 
constituency, focused on the hurts and needs beyond its doors. He named that as being the DNA of this place. Then he said, the other has been tried more than once and it has always failed because the character of this church has continuously grown out of the fullness of the gospel, not some minuscule substitute. That's who we are. It's who this church has been. It's who God calls this church to be in this present age. It's who God will enable us to be into the future. So, so, like Paul, I say, to the church of God in Tampa, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all of those who in every place name Jesus Christ as Lord, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, you are the body of Christ. And each one, individual members of it now arise to your calling. As we enter into a time of prayer, I, I want to allow I want to allow you to reflect on some of these questions from Mr. Wesley and see how they might touch some deep place in your own life and soul. And so I invite us into a time of reflection and of prayer. Is your heart right with God? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Does he dwell in you and you in him? Is your faith filled with the energy of love? Are you doing not your own will, but the will of him who sent you? Does the love of God constrain you to serve him? Is your heart right with your neighbor? Is your soul full of goodwill and of tender affection toward them? If your heart is as my heart, give me your hand. May it be so among us, O God, in the name and spirit of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And so we respond with our own.